business owners likely will have only one shot to sell a business. Most don't understand what drives value and how buyers look at a business. Until now. Welcome to the How to Sell a Business podcast, where every week we talk to the subject matter experts, advisors, and those around the deal table about how to sell at maximum value. Every business will go to sell one day. It's only a matter of when. We're glad you're here. The podcast starts now. On today's show, I get the opportunity to interview Max Zanon. Max is the author of four best-selling books on automotive retail management, and they're entitled Perfect Dealership, Car Business 101, The Art and Science of of running a car dealership and effective car dealer. Each book, and uh, I did this in my, uh, reviewed them in my uh, research for this interview. Each book has plenty of stars right next to it. So each book is a top rated Amazon category leader and, and certainly has received many five star reviews from prominent dealership owners and managers. Max's success as an author, general manager and entrepreneur has helped position himself as the premier, um, preeminent voice of leading the charge for modern modernization of the auto retail industry. Um, he is, he has 20 years of experience in sales, compliance, dealer management, consulting, and everywhere I looked, his name kept popping up. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Max Zanon. I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. On this podcast, I interview buyers, sellers, deal makers, and other professional advisors on what creates value in a business and then how that business can be effectively sold at a premium value. So as I, in the introduction, you heard me talk about Max and Max Zanon of MZ Dealer Services is literally the authority on, on, on automobile dealerships. I looked high and low for my research, um, during my research and he is just that guy. And so I'm so grateful to introduce to you, um, Max Zanin. So welcome to the show. I mean, Ed, thank you for this uh, wonderful introduction and the opportunity to, to, to be part of your podcast. Well, I'll tell you, I've been looking forward to this because it's a, it's a different animal. And, and I think, and like I said, in my research and all the things that all the, the different, you know, pieces that go into making a successful dealership, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. But before we get into my, my questions, can you talk a little bit about, uh, MZ dealer services? So MZ dealer services is me. Uh huh. Nobody else. That's the MZ part. Right. There's nobody else, meaning literally, I do not even have an assistant. Okay. And uh, my job is to help dealers make money. And, and it sounds easy, but car business is so complicated and complex that there's a reason why uh, a lot of dealers do not make money. So, again, you know, there are different ways where you can make money. And, and I try to bring all the options to the table so the dealer doesn't become an, a one-trick pony. They it. can maximize, you know, profit opportunities in every single department. Because oftentimes, dealers make a mistake and uh, they obsess over the sales department. Right, because they're convinced that you can sell your way out of any trouble. But when you buy a dealership, a franchise dealership, you're not just getting a new car department. You're getting a used car department. You're getting a service department. You're getting a parts department. Sometimes you're getting even a body shop. So unless you're maximizing every single opportunity that you paid for, you're literally leaving money on the table. Yeah, some of the research uh, that I had found was that you look at each of those respective divisions as almost their own business within a within a, a, a larger business, you know, and and each has their own various, you know, um, attributes that contribute to value. One of the things that, you know, 
I've, I've been appraising companies for oh, 30 years or so. And the funny thing is that everybody says, you know, business valuation, it's a, both an art and science. And the funny thing was in the research, I saw the same thing about what you do. So can you talk a little bit about the art and science of what you do? So the, the science is easy, right? Because there are right. certain KPIs, right? Whether it's profit per car, number of line items on the repair order, number of hours worked, you know, per repair order, mm -hmm. stuff like that. But this, the art part is the hard part, right? Because you're right, sometimes, and actually most of the times, each department operates in a silo mm -hmm. to a degree where there is zero communication with other departments. And the art is actually to bring them all together and make sure that they work towards a common goal. Because the common goal is to sell cars and then to service cars and then to sell cars again. So if the sales department and the service department are in silos, you know, you will never get that full circle. I get it. So is it a is it a people issue? For the for the for the art part, is it a people issue? Is it a technology issue, or is it an all the above issue? You know, it's it's all of the above plus lack of professional training issue. Oh. So the problem that we have is that I don't think you'll ever run into a Harvard MBA at a car dealership. Okay, car dealers fail to attract talent. The way Wall Street does. Or so the why way is that? Silicon Valley does. Yeah. Why is that? Well, because people think of car dealers, you know, car dealers have a terrible reputation, right? Sure. They're up there with yeah. congressmen, right? <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so, you know, when there is this stigma attached to, to the industry, nobody is growing up saying that, Ed, you know, I can't wait to grow up and get into car sales. But let's say Wall Street doesn't have that stigma. And you do have, you know, kids finishing school, going to college with a goal of getting into Wall Street, whether as a trader, as a broker, as an analyst, they just want to be part of that institution. I get it. Well, the the funny thing, you would think like, uh, uh, isn't it, uh, John Elway doesn't he own like a a, a portfolio of an, yeah a, of everybody wants to be a car dealer John <laughs> Elway you know Mark Wahlberg right you know everybody wants I mean Warren Buffett sure that's what I'm I'm getting at so you would think that with with that kind of notoriety that it would it would garner attention for more people to 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 get into it but it doesn't it doesn't seem to be the case. Maybe it's the best kept secret out in entrepreneurship. Maybe, but it works against the dealer, right? Because the you cannot attract talented people. I see. You don't even get an opportunity, right? You literally get the bottom of the barrel. So how do you offset that? I mean, yeah, the, that's, the, a, the that's a big problem. The only way to offset it is to grow your own talent internally. Okay. And then that begs, how do you keep them? How do you keep them from going to the, is it just, is it all economics or is it, or is there something else that, that keeps the, keeps the tech, keeps whoever there? There is definitely something else because it's not just money, right? It's, it's the organizational culture. Okay. So, and again, I think a lot of dealerships fail at that. You know, for example, um, if you talk about organizational culture, the best example I can give you is probably Zappos. Okay. Oh, right? sure. And the shoe shoe company. All right. That's right. I mean, there's a reason why Amazon paid billion dollars for a shoe company. Right. Right. It was the culture. I see. You know, and it's that culture that keeps the people, you know, allows you to retain talent and attract talent. So you can be the highest paying dealer on the block. But if the organizational culture is terrible, people will go elsewhere and work for less money and be happy. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and certainly, and and I've and I've got a a a question that I found. This is a statement from uh, CDK Global. I, d- I don't know who CDK Global is, but it 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 said that, and I'll just read it. So it says. Uh, CDK said that there are a lot of assumptions made about Gen Z, loosely defined as individuals born between 1997 and 2012. The need for instant gratification from simple online purchase experience to real-time social media engagement. However, when it came when it comes to buying a vehicle, CK, uh, CDK discovered that. Gen Z seems to be more thoughtful and spend more time weighing decisions while the experience of buying new and used cars uh, of of buying a newer used car more frustrating than any other generation with Gen Z the most interested in understanding all of their options so that was 81% compared to millennials of 73% Gen X of 60% and baby boomers 45% the need for education both online and from knowledgeable representative to at the dealership proves to be critical according to the study. So, so that my, my point to you is it's, it's exactly what you were saying um, regarding employees and, or, and the people that are representing the, the dealership that the expectation of those that are now buying, it has to be a better, better experience. And those people have to be able to have the education and communication, right? Or no. You, you, you know, to me, the most frustrating part about the statement is the fact that CDK Global made it. <laughs> right? I don't I, think they have any place to make that statement because CDK Global uh, makes an operating system that dealers use. Uh, well, then that makes sense. Okay. Right? So I don't know how much CDK Global knows about car buying, car selling, or the demographics of buyers. But to be honest with you, this is what they say about every generation. I mean, if you look sure. back, I mean, they were saying the same thing about millennials, that millennials are different. I'm a Generation X, right? The right. best generation. Heck yeah, right? it is. <laughs> it, yeah. And everybody was saying, oh, my God, you know, millennials, everything's going to change. You know, they uh, will not be buying cars. They will be using ride share. You know, they'll be Ubering sure. this, lifting that. But at the end of the day, this is what happens in the real world. You become an adult, regardless of your generation. And as an adult, you know what happens? You move to suburbs. You know what happens in suburbs? You can't live there with Uber. You need a car. Yep. Right? You become an adult, you get married. You become an adult, you have kids. Right? You can use rideshare if you've got to take your kid to the soccer practice. Right. Right. So at the end of the day, you become like the generation before you and you buy cars exactly the same way as the generation before you. That is such a great point. Oh, and you're, you're exactly right. And I, I didn't think of it until you, until you said it, but the same thing, the, the same concerns that I have putting my kids in cars and, and such are the same ones certainly my parents had and your parents had. That's it. So. It, as you know, I mean, earnings drive business value. In reviewing the comments about all four of your books, it was a, a repeated theme that that your tips led to increased profitability. Do you have any any favorites that you could share without without uh, you know selling out? Listen, uh, the beauty of this business is that there's nothing I can trademark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, I get you. You know, the, 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 the secret source is really understanding how every part of the business operates. Okay. Right. And, um, you know, I'll give you the easiest example. For example, when, when, when you buy a car, right? At the end of the transaction, you're going to go into the office where they're going to try to sell you an extended warranty or gap insurance or tire and wheel protection. Right. And, um, and this is the true profit center for any car dealership. That's the finance department. So you can make money selling these products. And that's what, you know, probably 99% of car dealers do. But you can probably double your profits as a dealer if you reinsure these products. By reinsuring, I mean you open your own insurance company. Oh. Uh- and, and you buy... Uh, 
a contractual liability insurance policy for each policy that you sell from the insurance company. So that's why it's called reinsurance. A real insurance company is reinsuring your business. And then if the premium dollars that you pay to your own insurance company exceed the claims dollars that you pay out, you will enjoy underwriting profit like any other insurance company. And the crazy part is that the underwriting profit is not taxed. Oh, wow. That's that's the beauty of insurance business as opposed to car business. I get it. Okay. So so think about it. You know, you, you can have, if you reserve properly, right, for each policy that you sell, and you control your claims because you recondition your used cars before you sell them. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you, you make sure you do the right thing by the customer. That underwriting profit is definitely there to be had. On top of it, you know, this money, they don't sit dormant, right? There's investment income that grows right. on these dollars. That's how insurance companies make money. Sure, sure. No, I get it. And... uh the investment income is subject to tax, but again, at capital gains rate, not at ordinary income rate. Right. So it's a phenomenal, phenomenal opportunity for any car dealer to build an asset outside of the dealership. Got it. Not be dependent on the factory and uh, build generational wealth. And unfortunately, a lot of these dealers do not do it. I, no, I mean, I... I totally i can totally see that the synergy between the 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 businesses that support the dealership are where are where the profit is which literally blows the next question right out of the water but i'm still going to ask it <laughs> so i'm told um that in in valuing a dealership it's made up of four components all right the market value of of the parts inventory the market value of the equipment, the market value of the real estate, and then a multiple on the goodwill. Is that is that a, a fair assumption? So think of it this way. You can ignore parts inventory and, and inventory okay. because it just comes with the building, right? You can't buy a dealership and say, you know what, Ed, I'm only going to take the dealership, but you keep the parts. It doesn't work like that. Right. You know, yes, you can you can definitely put a dollar amount on the parts inventory, but at the end of the day you still have to buy it. Sure. You can't say, well, you take the parts inventory with you, I'm gonna start fresh. It just doesn't work like that. Same thing with cars. You know, if you're selling, let's say, a Nissan dealership to me and you have brand new Nissans on the lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you, Ed, you know, I'm gonna buy the dealership and the parts department, but you keep the cars, right? Right. It just, it just doesn't work. We're going to have right. to work out a number, you know, how much I'm willing to pay for these cars. But the real crux of the issue is the blue sky. Sure. Blue sky is the value of the franchise. Mm-hmm. And the value of the franchise is something that market dictates. It's not dictated by the dealer. Really? So so where's the where does the market get its multiple or or factor to to apply to you know, to the well, goodwill. You see, most corporations in America report their earnings on a quarterly basis. Okay. Of course, car dealers are different. You know, mm-hmm. they report every month. So this information is public, and uh, every manufacturer. So let's say you are a Nissan dealer or you are a Chevy dealer. Doesn't matter, right? At the at, at, when the month is over. Let's say January is over. Within the first week of February, your factory expects a complete financial statement electronically sent to them. Wow. So they know the sure. profitability of, of the franchise. Exactly. So I think that's how the really gets established. But then, the, the, again, listen, a lot of it is common sense. For example, I'm sure. There are more Kia dealers than Porsche dealers. Sure. Yeah. And uh, you sell more Kias, but you make less money per Kia sold. 
as opposed to a Porsche, right? You sell a few of those, but you make a lot more per car sold. I get it. Right? And then let's say the, the high, usually the, the high line brands have a higher multiple. Porsche being the highest multiple. Last really? time I checked, Porsche was selling for 11, 11 multiple. 11 times what? Earnings. Okay. But these are crazy earnings. Sure, sure. No, I get it. <laughs> because you see, what happens with the Highline dealership, whether it's Porsche or Mercedes, not only that you get to make money selling the car, right? Because it's a desirable product and you know people are willing to pay for the service and the car. Yep. But let, let's assume for a second that you bought that Porsche. Right? You're not going to Jiffy Loop for an oil change. You're not. Oh, yeah, I know you're right. You know, so that service retention is almost guaranteed, as opposed to you buying a Toyota Corolla. Yeah. You can easily go to Jiffy Loop. Easily. Yep. You're right. You know, so that service retention is 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 basically guaranteed. And and the the amount of money that you are charged in, in a service department, I think, you know, Mercedes Porsche dealerships right now are over $200 an hour for labor. Wow. That's I a- mean, you know, these are almost like doctors. <laughs> right. No, no, you're right. You're exactly right. Oh, man. So on your, the earn, you said it. So there's, let's just say the Porsche dealership, you have, um, you have an 11 multiple on earnings. Is that all in? Like you were talking about, like the, the, the insurance, the the reinsurance company, is that all dumped in? All right. No, so, reinsurance so that- company is out. It's it's a, it's an asset. It's, it's almost like an off off balance sheet. Okay, so they'll bring their own. They'll bring their own. If they want to do it, they'll do do it themselves. But that is not. That's yeah. independent of the value of the, the dealership. Exactly. It. So it's basically, you know, your 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 net profit, right? Yep. That you generated in sales, service, and parts. I got it. So around here, there was, there was a recent article about, um, a, and here in Indianapolis, we're seeing some, some, um, dealerships turning over and, and it, and these were family dealerships and it doesn't seem there was the, the article was basically that, you know, the, the next generation or the, I shouldn't say that the, the selling generation did not want to invest in modernization in order to, in order to make it more marketable. So, so then, you know, one of the, a different dealer from a neighboring town comes in and now they have a presence in Indianapolis. So are you seeing that, that the, you know, the generation, I guess the generation before us that's trying to transition is holding, you know, is would rather sell than modernize? So, I, you know, I'm not sure because the way it works is that th- there are brand standards oh. that are dictated, let's say, by Mercedes sure. or Nissan or Toyota. And they say, Ed, if you are a Toyota dealer, your showroom has to look this way. That's why they look the same regardless whether you're right. in Indianapolis or in New York. And uh, you have to spend your hard-earned money to do that. It's not open to negotiation. These brand standards are real. And I think generation is really irrelevant, right? Because whether, you know, it's the older generation or younger generation, you just have to do what the factory tells you to do in terms of the brand standards. I think the generation that's older than us, the, the, the baby boomers that are selling, I think they're selling for one reason and one reason only. They're selling because their kids are not interested in going into the business. But why? They they must have seen mom and dad print money. I mean, especially those that have been around for, you know, 20, 30 years. So, unfortunately, you know, car dealers, probably like many other business owners, they don't tell their kids to go into the same business, right? They tell them, go become a doctor, go become a lawyer, you know, do whatever makes you happy, you know, and they do, right? And they become high school teachers making $40,000 a year, right? Because her mom and dad 
you know, a gazillionaires, right? You know, and, and oh. subsidize their lifestyle. No, you know what? That, that's a that's a great point and disappointing, but at the same time, you know, it, it is what it is. So, so you see, you see, industry consolidation more so than than transfer from from you know, Gen One to Gen Two. Fair statement. You know, car business is extremely fragmented. I don't think there's another business like that. Because if you look, you know, I mean, look at, let's say, internet search business, right? It's Google or nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Right, Social media, it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat, right? Right. There are 18,000 franchise dealers in America. Okay. The largest... Order Group publicly traded. It's called Order Nation. Okay. They have 330 dealerships wow. out of 18,000. Yeah. No, no, I see where you're going. So it's, it's super fragmented. So when we talk about consolidation, you know, even if it consolidates another 10%, it'd still be super fragmented. Yeah. No, that, that's a great point. I, like I said, in, in communities like, like ours, it seems as though one family – starts buying out another family like we it's it like in our in our community it's it's tom wood it it it, it is it's now um i'm trying to think of, of who's who's buying them out but uh andy moore he you know he just continues to expand expand his market share i guess and and it doesn't seem and that leads me to my next question i mean are individual buyers candidates for for getting into this business or do you really have to, is the pedigree you, you really better have a real clear understanding of what you're getting into because all the moving parts in this business is something unlike anything you've been accustomed to. So, so listen, there's this fail safe mechanism built into the buy sell process. Okay. For example, you would like to buy a Toyota dealership. Mm -hmm. Toyota will never approve you. Even if you have the money, because you don't have the experience. Okay. Because the factory is not interested in having dealerships fail because it's a bad reflection on the name. I got it. So, so it's not like, well, let me just you know have some money and, and become a car dealer. There's a very thorough approval process. You know, and if you don't have the experience, you would have to bring in an executive manager you know, that would probably end up being your partner. I got it. That's a, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I, I, I would, while I understand like franchises, not necessarily automobile franchises, I do understand the, you know, the, the rigors of going through the approval process. But again, I, I, I follow, I follow what you're saying that it needs, you know, you right. Need so I think have- the difference between a Dunkin' Donuts franchise and a Nissan franchise is that you and I can become Dunkin' Donuts franchisees, but we will have to attend the Dunkin' Donuts University. Right. It doesn't work like that in car business. Hmm. You can't buy the franchise and then go to school provided by the manufacturer. I got it. So in so the book you you um you wrote during COVID. So in the book, Effective Car Dealer, Selling Cars, Parts, and Labor After COVID-19, you talk about these These are the the silos, the sales, finance, financial, and, and insurance compliance, service, and parts. So what – what? and I you, you alluded to this earlier, but I just – I wanted to, to scratch the itch a little bit more on what, what area makes the biggest contribution to making the business saleable. I'm assuming it's service, but – but uh, but I may be wrong. So, so there's a huge problem in car business. And the problem is this. 97% of owners, partners, general managers, all came up through sales. Okay. They don't understand parts and service. Okay. So since 97% of your owners, of future owners came up through sales, to them, sales department is it. So all they want to know is how many cars you sell, how much money per car you make. 
they don't really understand KPIs that are in parts and service. Yeah. And, and yes, you're right. You know, parts and services is extremely profitable. For example, markup on labor in a car dealership is 75%. Wow. Markup on parts is 50%. You can never get these margins selling cars, ever. Yeah. No, I, I get it. Which, which leads me to my next question. So you, 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 you've mentioned KPIs a, a couple times. So what are the leading indicators for a, a car dealer that, or there, are there tripwires that an owner needs to be aware of? You know? So to me, you know, a, a huge indicator is service absorption. So service absorption means that the gross profit generated from parts and service mm-hmm. covers all of your fixed expenses for it. the entire operation, not just for parts and service. Oh, okay. That's, that, that's a telling one. <laughs> right. And um, so, for example, if, you, if your uh, service absorption is 100%, that means you cover 100% of your fixed expenses through parts and service. Most dealers are nowhere near 100%. They're below it. But there are some dealers that are above, because you can be above 100%. You can be yeah. 110, 120 if you're a superstar. Sure. You know, and, and what that tells me, if you're at 100 or above, is that it doesn't cost anything to sell cars. Right? It doesn't right. cost anything. Meaning you can actually give cars away to grab market share because all of your expenses are covered, and fixed expenses, by yep. parts and service. Got it. So as, an, as the, the previous generation, we, we, we touched on this, and, and I guess I wanted to go back on, on how, do you, how do you size up the next leader in the business like for example say say the owner is going to just ride it out i'm going to i'm going to hold on to this you know in, in i'm going to leave involuntarily they're going to take me out in a in a box so so how does is i mean are there certain attributes that you can see in a in dealer leadership like this is a, this is a, a a man or woman that that has that you know this is the pedigree that I'm looking for that will preserve my investment. You know, I wish it was that easy. You know, <laughs> me too. <laughs> so what what usually ends up happening, you know, is that you have to grow your own talent. You have to invest into education, and this education is very very limited. It's not like you can go to school and major you know, and dealership management. It's not really an option. So, so you have to find information elsewhere, you know, and there are good resources out there. There's National Associa- Dealer, Association of uh, Automotive Dealers, NADA. They have a university that you, where you can enroll your employees. And it's, it's, not, it's not cheap, but it's worth every dollar. You know, and then usually a state dealer association uh, would have some other courses available to its local dealer body. And again, you have to take advantage of it because um, these courses are available. But if you actually go there, you will see that the attendance is really, really poor. Right. Because, um, you know, car dealers, as I mentioned before, they have to report every 30 days. I get it. So, so they live in a 30-day cycle, which really is counterproductive. It prevents you from building a long-term strategy, building a vision. Because of the expectations to the franchise, to the franchise itself. So they're not able to – they are expected to have a certain level of profit, right, or – well, it's either profit, it's, it's not even profit, but let's say if you're a Chevy dealer, right? Uh, the, the, the factory will say, well, in the month of February, you know, we expect you to sell this many cars. 
Okay. So it becomes a red race. So, so does it, um, when does it trigger? I don't want to say a default, but when, when do you, I mean, how many missed 30 day cycles can many. you, many. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. so I could, so I could say, look, you know, I'm sending my, you know, I'm sending my best guys to this university to get educated, you know, but, but as a consequence to doing that, it's a, it's a good long-term play, but short-term I'm going to take it on the chin because I'm sending these guys to, you know, to, to get educated. That fair, a fair statement? Yeah. But again, this is, you know, a dealership specific education. They're not going to NADA university to learn sociology and psychology. Right. Right. I get it. So how do you, how do you handcuff those people that you're investing in? So I think there's a saying, right? Like uh, when the CEO is speaking to the CFO, right? And the CFO says, you know, we're spending all this money training people. What if they leave? Uh-huh. And the CEO says, what if, they, what if <laughs> they we don't and they stay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. That that makes sense. Um, have you seen any, any novel ways to keep people? I mean, I, I I know originally you were talking a little bit about culture, but you know, and and you can go back to it. But how do, how do how do I keep how do I keep my best people? So the hardest people to find right now are technicians. So as a, as a dealer principal, you have to be really creative. Okay. And come up with ways to keep them. And it, and you just and you were saying it's not all economic. It's not all exactly. So, for example, what I learned is that every technician uh, is addicted to buying tools. That's their livelihood. They buy tools. This, this is what they spend their money on. Because as cars become more and more complicated, you need more and more sophisticated tools to work on these cars. Well, it's funny you say that because in – so I've got a, a fellow that – is coming on the podcast that um, specializes in the sale of automo- automobile repair businesses, and one of the one of the things in in that research was that the technicians bring their own tools. Is that right. is that the same in in dealerships or no? Yes. So so there's there's certain <laughs> special tools. Yeah. Yeah. That are extremely expensive and they're owned by the dealership, but your you know day to day wrenches etc are owned by technicians. So they basically, when you hire a technician, he shows up with his toolbox, really? and then he keeps spending money to put more tools in his toolbox. So, so the one de- of the, the most innovative ways I think to retain a technician is to go and uh, help him buy tools. Nice. No, that's a great, that's a great, you know, here's, you know, here's X number of dollars per month for you to, you know, keep your toolbox up to date and find, find, you know. Another way, which is very effective, is to really come up with a formula and say for each year of service, it doesn't matter if you're a technician or, or you work in accounting, you're selling cars, right? For each year of service, there'll be a bonus of X amount of dollars. So listen, if ad is uh, at XYZ Toyota for 15 years, right, right and the bonus is $1,000 per year, right, you collect sure. $15,000 around Christmas, which I think uh, is worth it for the dealer and definitely is worth it for you because even if you were to get another job, you would start at zero, right? Right. No, uh, 100%. percent at- yeah, that's a good. That's a that's a great idea. Um, okay, so I've got a couple more questions. If you got some time, sure. So, my first question is: Where is the puck going in this industry? I mean, it 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 seems as though you know it, it's a volatile time, but yet maybe not. You know, this is a really controversial topic because. Um, as you know, this business operates based on franchise laws. Okay. And uh, we are living in the environment where <clears throat> every manufacturer wants to be like Tesla. 
And Tesla operates outside of franchise laws. Really? How so? Tesla sells direct. Tesla was able to break oh, oh, franchise oh. laws. All right, so Tesla it. sells direct to consumer. And now, basically what happens in every boardroom, right, whether it's Ford, GM, you know, there are two fractions in every boardroom. You know, there are old dogs that understand sure. that you cannot sell cars in the United States without dealers. And then there's another fraction that says, but wait, look at Tesla. Right. And then they keep pointing at Tesla's valuations. And Tesla is valued more than every manufacturer combined on planet Earth. That's the a, stock valuation. Sure, sure. I get it. Right? So, so these factories, again, whether it's Ford or GM, they're trying to come up with creative ways of how to cut out a dealer and sell direct to consumer. And that's the real danger that I see. So to answer your question, where the puck is going, you know, hopefully these manufacturers will understand that our franchise model is more than 100 years old. It has been proven and battle tested. And it's yeah. really, really good for the consumer. Whereas direct to consumer model is extremely complicated in the sense that the, the manufacturer doesn't have expertise selling cars. They have expertise making cars. So, for example, if you want to sell direct to a consumer, most consumers have trade-ins, right? Who's going to put a dollar amount on the trade-in? In a car dealership, you know, we have a used car manager for that. Sure. But if you're doing this as direct-to-consumer online, you know, it becomes problematic. And this is and and this is the also the collapse of Carvana. Is that how how that that fell apart, or no? Well, Carvana fell apart because the math doesn't work. You know, math is math, right? Right. So let's say you know, let's just to to use round numbers. Let's say uh, every uh, used car that you sell, let's say you make fifteen hundred dollars on the sale of the vehicle. In a dealership. And then there's other profit by selling warranties, you know, and, and stuff like that. But let's right. say you didn't sell anything in that office. You only sold the car and you made $1,500. Okay. It's a very respectable number. But that's assuming that you, you have a local customer. They took the car and they drove home. Let's say Carvana made the same $1,500, but they had to ship the car to Alaska. Oh, sure. <laughs> I, no, that makes sense. You know, your fifteen hundred dollars is gone. Yeah, I get it. So, <laughs> the I guess the then it, the buy the car buying experience is always brutal, and 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 everybody wants to know why it takes four hours to buy a car. I mean, is that is that designed to? Uh, you know, car buying fatigue and I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It only takes four hours because of the consumer. Oh, really? Right. Because they come in not knowing what they want. All the things that you read about them doing research, all their research is gone by the time they walk into the showroom. Oh, I get it. <clears throat> and, and they're like, well, I'm looking for an SUV. Right. Two row, three row, they start choosing the model, going on the test drive, okay. you know, and then let's say the wife says, I hate it. I get it. Okay, so we start the process all over again. So let's say, for, for example, you walk in to a Jeep dealership, right? And you want to buy an SUV. Mm -hmm. Jeep makes SUVs of every size, right? There's a Tiny one, there's a Cherokee, there's a Grand Cherokee, there's a Grand Cherokee longer version, and then there's a Grand Wagoneer, which is like right. a school bus. Yeah. You know, and now, you, you know, the consumer has to make a decision, and that decision-making process is extremely long. 
culture. And the, but once they once they they've established price, it seems as though you know the meter starts all over again, waiting for financing, waiting for the opportunity to to go it, through it, that again, process. You see, this is not so clear cut because yes, if you walk into a dealership and we pick the car for you, and we settled on the price, and you don't have a trade in, and you have excellent credit. That financing process is instantaneous, right? You're easy mm-hmm. to get approved on, right? But usually most people have a trade-in, right? So now it's the reverse, right? Because when you have a trade-in, you are selling the car to the dealer. Sure. I get it. Right? So now you negotiate on the trade-in. And then what if you have some blemishes on your credit? Mm-hmm. And maybe you were hoping to get that low APR, but you don't qualify. So the dealer has to find a different bank. Yeah. You know, and that takes time. And then you go into that office to sign the paperwork, and the finance manager has to go through his presentation and present to you every protection product that's available for sale <coughs> because you will then turn around and sue the dealership if these products weren't presented. I get it. Okay, so it's so it really is it really isn't a, a vehicle to you know I, I mean certainly there's some upselling that goes on but it's not it's not a you know a, a tactic to wear you down so you buy more. It it, it is not, and I think every dealer would want to speed up the process. Sure, I, I it makes it. If it takes me to sell a car and, it, and the process is four hours and I'm the salesperson, right? I cannot no. take another customer for the next four hours while I'm selling sure. the car to you. That's what I would have thought. I get it. So at the conclusion of every podcast, I've always asked everyone I've interviewed, you know, what is the single best piece of advice that you could give our listeners that would have the most impact on their dealership? What would that be? Make sure that all of the departments in your car dealership are operating and working towards a common goal. And you have to define that common goal. And it has to be very, very specific, right? Because you can't say our common goal is to sell cars, right? It's, it's, it's a little too vague because sure. every dealer's goal is to sell cars. You know, I'm yet to meet a dealer whose goal was not to sell cars. I see. Right? So, so you have to say, well, my goal is to sell cars because, and what is the value proposition that you are bringing in your sales department? And then after, let's say, I bought a new car from you, what is the value proposition that you're bringing in your service department? Okay. Right? Because I could have had an amazing experience buying a car. And then I come for service and experience is terrible. I will never be back to buy another car in that dealership, unfortunately, even though the sales experience was phenomenal. That's yeah. how interconnected these silos are. I get it. So I, it's funny you say that because I, for my youngest daughter, we, she has a little Hyundai Santa Fe and, and I took it in for a recall. Um, and, and it came out and here was four pages long. Of all, you know, all the recommended things that we do. And I mean, it, it, I mean, it was like five grand of stuff. And it, and it was like, yeah, I, I, I felt, <laughs> yeah, I, I felt, you know, I was getting squeezed and, and it was, yeah, what, what do you do? And, but so my, my point to you is you're right. It, it left a, it, it left a real, bad taste in my mouth that, you know, I'm not really certain, you know, I, I, I'm all for you making money. I'm just not all for you making money all, only off of me. You know, it's just, it, it, there was a lot to, to what they gave me. And when I vetted it out, you know, I was getting jammed. I mean, that's the, the long and the short of it. And, and, um, and so, yeah, but back back to your original comment when we first got started, you know that it the the reputation of the industry is is a, a tough one to overcome, 
And again, it's things like that 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 cause it. So I, I, I'm with you. But but to your point, you know, the the good dealerships will always sell. You know, the those that have the value proposition that have the synergy between the silos. I, I'm I'm 100 percent with you that those are those are the ones that that are that you're looking for, and those are the ones that that will get the premium. You know. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, the other piece of advice that I can give. And it's, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. You know, I encourage every dealership owner to mystery shop his own business. Mm. And, uh, you know, you can really have a heart attack doing it. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So what's the best way that listeners can find you other than all you have to do is put Max, <laughs> Max in Google, and and you you got the first few pages. So, what's the best way we can do that? I mean, listen, uh, as I told you before, you know, I, I am a one man show, and um, the best way to get in touch with me is just call me. You okay. know, I actually answer the phone. There's no there's no answering service. There's no secretary. You, you know, I you. know I, I know how to use a phone, so I actually like <laughs> pull back. Got it. So you kick it old school. That's yeah. uh yeah. good for you. Well, I will have I will have everything we talked about as well as a link to your to your website and everywhere that that you can find Max, including if you're all right, I'll have your phone number in the show notes. Sure. Um so Max, you 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 100% lived up to to the hype I was hoping you you would. <laughs> Um, it, it was awesome. I, I so enjoyed our time together. Thank so you. thanks Thank so much for, for being me. on. Thank you for joining us today on the How to Sell Your Business podcast. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to help sell your business for the maximum value, visit howtosellabusinesspodcast.com for tips and best practices to make your exit life-changing. Better yet, subscribe now so you never miss future episodes. This program is copyrighted by MISO Inc. All rights reserved.